Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. That's our theme verse from Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar continues in our series, Running From God, with this week's episode titled, Rescue. If you want to watch the video of this week's message, listen to worship, search through our message archives, just visit our website, brookwoodchurch.org slash watch, or download the Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. hadn't been for God, where would you be? Do you know where you would be? That's worth, it's worth reflecting on from time to time. It, it changes our attitudes, doesn't it? We return to our series again on the uh, book of Jonah, which I've entitled Running from God. Have you discovered how you are running from God? Randy, you discovered how you're running from God. This crowd's quiet this morning. Have you all? Because it, we're all in this story. Have you found yourself in the story yet? The theme for today that I've chosen, the, the message title is Rescue. And the theme is at the beginning of chapter two, which we'll be focusing on chapter two today in Jonah. And it says... Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. The background, if you were here last week or you were watching, is, I'll summarize it at Jonah 1.15. After the storm hit, then the soldiers picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. Now think about that. The storm stopped. That should have ended Jonah's ordeal, right? I mean, when we're crying out to God because we have a tough situation and it, it settles down, we stop pursuing God, right? We go back to what we were ordinarily doing. This should, have, this should have stopped Jonah's ordeal. Sailors could have rescued him, thrown him a rope. The sea was calm, pulled him back on board, dried him off, continued to Tarshish. Continued his rebellion. Some of us have had all kinds of issues, haven't we? Financial issues, employment issues, health issues, issues with children some kind of trouble. We cry out, we focus on God, we pray. It resolves. And we continue to Tarshish. Go back to life as usual, which may have been life running away. But God wasn't finished shaping the character of his prophet, this rebellious, petulant man. And so verse 17 says, again, a little background, that the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, Jonah was focused on escaping his crisis. He was trying to get away from God. The storm's in the way. He needs something to happen. But, but God had something else he wanted for Jonah. 
God wanted Jonah to reflect on his attitude toward God. He wanted Jonah to reconsider his rebellion and his running away. And in order to do that, God had to do what? Come on, y'all, speak up. We're here. You made it through the rain. He sent the fish because he wasn't through and Jonah hadn't responded apparently, appropriately. So the storm died down and God sent the fish. Well, let me stop there. Do you believe Jonah was really swallowed by a fish? How many of you do? How many of you believe Jonah was really swallowed by a fish? Well, I don't have to argue this real fiercely then, but... Um, and the fish was either one directed by God or created specifically for the purpose. Because the Hebrew can mean to appoint or to prepare. But the, the point I want us to remember, and I'm, I'm glad, you know, you've already, most of you have already embraced this, this as a fact. It's really not necessary. It's interesting that commentators talk about times that people have been swallowed by whales, particularly sperm whales. The story supposedly is one survived it, I, although that's debated some. But it's really not necessary to believe that the ocean contains fish that could swallow a man and the man could remain living for three days. There's really only one question here. Is God real? And is he all-powerful? Because you see, if God is real and God is all-powerful, then miracles are no challenge. If God could resurrect a dead man, his son, for the, after he died for the collective sins of us all, then preparing a fish to swallow Jonah wasn't difficult. But how could a man remain alive in a fish for three days? I mean, did he, is that what he did? Did he remain alive in a fish for three days? Is that what you think? I don't think he did. I'm not sure he was alive in that fish. Jonah may have died in the fish and been restored to life. Remember, Jesus referred to the sign of Jonah compared three days buried to Jonah's three days in the fish's belly, right? Is that right? Well, Jesus wasn't alive when he was buried. He was dead. So it'd actually be a closer parallel if Jonah died and was raised back to life. Now just think about it, Matthew 12, 39 and 40. But the point I wanna focus on this morning primarily in Jonah's prayer is that God sent the storm followed by the fish to rescue Jonah, not to punish him. Are you in difficult circumstances today? 
you need rescue. Rescue includes several things, at least pointed out in this passage. Rescue includes first a return to God's presence. Jonah chapter two. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. It's interesting. I think that word is, is very important. The Lord, his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. I called to the Lord from the land of the dead, Hebrew Sheol. And Lord, you heard me. So what this, what this is saying is that either as the fish was sucking Jonah into his mouth, or he was sliding down the fish's throat, or when he stopped in the fish's belly, somewhere along that line, Jonah cried out to God. And God answered. That's probably the most key part. Now, Jonah knew he would soon be dead. Whether he lived three days or not, he didn't expect to survive that. Would you agree with that? And he turned to the Lord, the same Lord he had desperately wanted to get away from. But was that cry from the fish's belly sincere? You think it was sincere? Had his attitude toward God changed or did he just want God to rescue him from drowning? Which one? Just get him out. Remember, he was so angry towards God that, that, that he, he was so filled up with this rage toward God, this wrath toward God, that, that you, you, can't, you can't carry that much anger without it turning not only against God, against yourself, against everybody else. You may know somebody like that. They're just so full of anger that that anger that old hot lava spills out on everyone, including that person himself. I mean, he had already said, throw me in. He'd already decided that he would rather drown than repent. I mean, when they said, well, you're the cause of this. Why didn't he try to repent then? Because he was mad, he was angry, he was stubborn. He'd already refused to repent. And furthermore, he wasn't doing any rowing either. Remember, he was asleep down in the hold. He wasn't helping in any way. He was just mad, rolled up in self-pity. He told the sailors, throw me in the sea. But it's interesting, a lady in the church pointed this out. I mean, I get, I get a lot of help from people. They'll say, you know, you could have said this. I got this one secondhand from, from somebody on staff. But again, just you see, his, you see his stubborn selfishness because he was so self-consumed, 
why didn't he just jump off the boat himself? He wasn't even motivated enough to say, okay, I'm the cause. I'll just leap off and help you all. He just said, you can throw me off. Remind you of anybody? When people are wrapped up in this sort of, I used this word last week, narcissistic. It's a perfect word, I think. Self-focused. What matters in this world, what matters in this great wide world is me. When people are wrapped up in this narcissistic, self-consumed, self-focused, and also self-pity when things aren't going well, they won't try. They won't refuse. They refuse to move. They force someone else to push them. A spouse, parents, friends. And then if their situation doesn't improve, who do they blame? Who? The person that pushed them. Yeah. I'm not going to do anything. Kind of like some children. Uh-oh, somebody laughed. That was a nervous laugh. They're unhappy with life. They're angry over their circumstances, but they won't study and they won't work and they won't go to counseling and they're forcing you to pitch them off the ship or out of the basement whichever the case may be. And then they blame you when things don't go well. Now, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but some of you in this room right now have told me this story of the stubborn child at home doing nothing, not even pursuing God and blaming you. That sound familiar to anybody at all? And you're just letting them keep dishing it out. Now, would God have accepted Jonah back if he was only trying to have his life spared? You said no. Anybody else? Would would God have accepted Jonah back? Who said yes? The answer is yes. Yes. Because God always hears the prayers of his children. God always welcomes us back. Even the most rebellious ones. Because we still have that relationship. Remember this prayer opened when, and it said Jonah prayed to God, his God. One of my most favorite verses in the entire scripture. Luke 15, 20, and I, they don't have it on the screen because I wanted you to have to listen to me or look it up. Luke 15, 20. So he returned home to his father. 
And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, that's the story of the prodigal. But you could say, well, the prodigal ran out of money. Ran, I mean, he, he had to go home. But the father received him. The father received him. God arranged Jonah's circumstances. He sent the storm, then the fish, to stop Jonah's exit, escape, his flight away. To force him to think about where he was, how he got there, so he would return. You see, if Jonah had remained in the ship, even if he had decided to bail water or throw off cargo or, or row, he could have distracted himself from thinking about how he had damaged his relationship with God. Jonah had to be thrown overboard and he needed to be swallowed. Has God interrupted your life? with this virus or anything related to it. You may have had loss of employment. Your business may have declined. You may have just been stuck at home. Nothing to do. How are you using the time? Are you flipping channels? Are you reflecting on the spiritual state of your life? Jonah didn't just scream, help, save me. Verse one in chapter two says he, he spoke to God. And it says he cried out to God. But the point was he turned his focus back to God. See, you can cry something in anger towards God that's really not trying to talk to God. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all have all done this. You've been in the backyard. You cuss at somebody. You're not trying to talk to them. You're yelling at them. But this was, this, there, was, there was communication, even though there was passion in Jonah. He was, he was refocusing on God because you can yell at God without any intent to experience God without any intent to be in God's presence. But he heard God's response. That's what the verse says. C.S. Lewis, in a grief observed, talks of losing his wife and he was in such agony that he was just, just crying out to God. And the image he described was, was just beating on a door, wanting God to respond to him. And he heard nothing. And he was, he was really angry. And he was furiously beating on the door. God, why won't you speak? God, why won't you speak? And when he had exhausted himself, my words, and grew quiet, he heard the voice of God. The still, small voice of God. 
Sometimes we're so upset with God, we're not trying to enter his presence. We're not trying to communicate. We're just expressing our rage. When we're anxious, when we're depressed, when we're despondent, do, do we just, do, are we just screaming at God? Are we trying to enter his presence? Trying to hear his voice? Or if you're in some pain or difficulty right now, are you just pursuing one distraction after another? Rescue includes recognition of responsibility. Verse 3. You threw me into the ocean depths. I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. What's that describing? I think he's drowning. I don't think he's inside the fish yet there. I think he's drowning. He's sinking. He's in the waves. But it's interesting here what he says about that. Who did he say threw him in there? No, he didn't say, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, exactly. He said, you threw me. Well, who actually physically threw him? Sailors, but he didn't blame them. He knew God was disciplining him for his rebellion. So there were two responsible parties and the sailors were not one of them. God did it because of his actions. He didn't blame the sailors, even though they actually tossed him overboard. They were just doing what they had to do to survive this, this storm that God sent to apprehend Jonah. See, Jonah had spent years faithfully serving God. And he could speak for God with authority. Do you think people recognized him as important? Yeah, I think so. Spiritually important, even powerful. But Jonah forgot because of the way the people responded to him, he forgot that he was never anything more than a messenger for God. That he was a servant called to do what God told him to do, no more, no less. You see, Jonah determined he had the right to decide whether he would accept God's assignments, didn't he? If it didn't please him, he could refuse. Now, what would you call this independent spirit? Say it louder. It's rebellion. It's sin, somebody said. It's spiritual pride. I think we can see that. You know, sometimes pastors sort of can forget who's God and who are they. People can forget 
that they're never more than a servant. And they sort of like to impress people and order people around. And, and worse, people who believe they're saved and decide by virtue of their salvation, they get to refuse God's direction and his word. Spiritual pride. And that spiritual pride had to be exposed and repented of because Jonah, to be able to serve God, had to be brought back into close, intimate relationship with God. It's interesting to me and to you, people that, that claim to be saved see their salvation as something they did back there, not as a relationship right here that becomes more intimate and therefore more obedient. When I see someone or talk to someone who's living far from God and they talk about their salvation that occurred back there at camp, walk in the aisle, pray in a prayer, back there. And they have nothing to say about right here. There's something vital missing. Either there's no relationship at all or there's certainly no healthy relationship, no intimate relationship. Verse four. Then I said, oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. I'm not sure that's completely true, do you think? Now he's sinking farther from the presence, but he's still, you think he's blaming God here still? It kind of looks like that a little bit, doesn't it? Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. It's like Jonah is mad with God, but he knows he can't get away from him. You ever felt like that? I don't like where I am, but I can't leave God. Now, Jonah knew God was disciplining him. And there seems to be almost some resentment that he's about to drown. But he does reflect, he turns his attention back to God's temple. Verse 5. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. It's interesting, isn't it? His geology's right. Not, some did, didn't understand that mountains were under the bottom of the ocean as well or, or in, down into the depths of the ocean. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. So Jonah's describing this downward plunge into the deep. It, it, did he actually hit the bottom? Maybe. But he certainly illustrates 
the hopelessness of his situation. There's a phrase in AA. And they call it, you know what it is? Hitting rock bottom. Hitting rock bottom. And that's where Jonah was. He was beyond human help. He was sure of his imminent death by drowning. But see, at this instance, now he sees no escape from death. But he has to decide how he would die. At odds with God or at peace with him. All of us have to decide that. I'm aware of a tragic case of a man that screamed, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell in the hospital. Unfortunately, it was my own father. All of us have to decide. Right now, are you, are you in a hopeless situation, sinking toward the bottom? Or are you on the bottom? Where will you look? Will you, as you're sinking or as you're on the bottom, are you looking for someone to blame? Are you screaming at God for causing it? Or allowing your catastrophe? Or, or are you looking at yourself and saying, I created this calamity? Rescue also includes realization of God's rescue. Jonah remembered his hopeless situation, sure to die. Unless God intervened, but I don't read that he even sees that as a possibility. But God did intervene. And it says, but you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. The fish saved Jonah from drowning. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Just as he's given up, resigned to die, he remembered his Lord. He cried out to God in his temple. Then the fish swallowed him. Do you think at that moment, Jonah's crying is, is crying for rescue? Or is he seeking reconciliation? Which one? I think reconciliation. I think he sees no way of escaping. Remember, he's in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. 
He's already sunk. The boat's kept sailing away. Jonah keeps mentioning the temple because the name of God was in the temple. The, the, the presence of God was in the holy of holies. The Shekinah of glory touched down on the mercy seat. But the name or the presence of God was in the temple was how the people understood their prayers. So they would pray toward the temple. Now, they didn't believe that God was limited to that space. They knew no building can limit God. God was in heaven, but his name was in the temple. So there was a a place they could look to, they could connect with. And this is actually, it's a great Great passage is Solomon's prayer of dedication in the, of the temple, 1 Kings chapter 8, and particularly 28 through 30. And he talks about praying to the temple, to the name and being heard and being forgiven. But understand the, the importance of the temple. What happened at the temple? What, what was done at the temple? Sacrifices were offered. So the temple, as, as they understood it, remember they didn't have a grasp of Christ dying for sins. They saw themselves as being absolved, absolved by sins, by sacrifices in the temple. Now it re- still required faith to believe that it was possible to be made right with God through those sacrifices. But people who have sinned like Jonah and like every one of us approach God only by having our sins forgiven. A sacrifice was offered for us as well. Our temple, though, was Calvary. And that sacrifice was final and sufficient for all time. But it's interesting to me, Jonah's next words are a bit surprising, but very revealing. Verse 8, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. Is that surprising to you that he would say that? I mean, have y'all ever known anybody in trouble who said, well, I got to get myself right with God. And then they're still criticizing others. You've never heard of that happening, have you? (laughs) Who's he talking about? Those who worship false gods. He's talking about those sailors. He wasn't there when they repented, remember? They were all crying out to their various gods for help. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and I will fulfill my vows. What do you hear in this statement? What'd you say? Say it again. I, what do we call that? Pride, pride. 
Do you hear appreciation to God? I think so. But do you hear pride? I think so. Do you hear prejudice toward unbelieving Jews? Yeah. Against the sailors? Yeah. What about the Ninevites? Was Jonah, even what he thought were his final moments of life, justifying his rejection of God's assignment? It seems so. It seems so. And then he said, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Now, salvation here can be a reference to spiritual deliverance, but it can also be um, physical because it's really the word deliverance. But I think he was affirming his steadfast faith in Yahweh who alone can save. And I think he was speaking of a eternal rescue, spiritual deliverance into God's presence following his death. But God had a different plan. Verse 10, then the Lord ordered, literally spoke to the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Isn't it interesting that all of God's creation, save one, obey when Jonah speaks? Who is that in God's creation that doesn't obey when God speaks? Humans. Humans are the only creation of God that resists his, his word. God spoke to the fish and the fish obeyed. We don't know where Jonah landed. We don't know what shape he was in. But imagine if you were inside a fish. You ever caught a fish? Any of you ever gutted a fish? Who? Who's gutted a fish? What was in there? Guts? What was it like? What was the con consistency of it? Slimy. slimy. You think Jonah came out slimy? Covered with mucus. Nasty. I think that the acid certainly would have burnt or even bleached his exposed skin. He, he, he may have come out covered with mucus, discolored fleshed, maybe disfigured in some way for life. But he was alive. But with a deeper experience of God's grace. I think God sent the storm, followed by the fish, and finally the rescue to force Jonah to experience the grace of God's rescue. That's why Robert's song was so powerful. And when we experience God's grace, it's a benefit to us, but then it also calls us to become more gracious to others who are headed to destruction. In this case, the Ninevites. 
But we will soon see whether God's rescue changed Jonah's heart. Have you experienced the saving, delivering grace of God? Have you? Has it caused you to be more concerned, more gracious toward others? Care volunteers are here. You know, in if you've seen yourself, you said, I'm in, I'm in the ocean. I'm in the fish. I've just been spit on the shore. If you see that God has sent something to stop your retreat, to turn your focus to him, there'll be people here to talk with you, to pray with you. They'll also be in the care connection room if you want to speak privately. And for those of you who are watching online, you can push that, you can click the request prayer button and you can turn in your prayer needs so that we can pray for you. So let me urge you, spend some time this, this week thinking about the grace of God, the deliverance, the rescue of God in your life so that it will bleed out of your life and affect others. Father, how we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, that you see us and you stop us when we're running away. Lord, at the time we, we get angry with you for the circumstances that seem so difficult, but help us, Lord, to see through the circumstances to your motivation to provide rescue. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you for coming. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Here's this week's spiritual practice. Just like any relationship, developing intimacy with God is cultivated over time. While there's no magic formula, here's a simple process to help you draw closer to God. First, find a quiet place and spend a few minutes in silence to clear your mind. When you sense stillness, Tell God what you want Him to hear. Slowly read and meditate on a passage of Scripture. What words or phrases stand out to you? You can use the memory verse, daily readings, or any passage. Ask God what He wants to say to you and allow Him time to put thoughts into your mind. And finally, God desires to talk to you all day long. So when you leave this quiet time with God, ask Him to speak to you throughout the day. Here's a good resource to read. It's the book, Walking with God, how to Hear His Voice by John Eldridge. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected here at Brookwood. You can email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 and you can speak to someone on our connections team. Hey, thanks for listening and have a great week.